Both sides fought fiercely for control of Pingaron, like it was the pass of Thermopylae, the storied spot the Spartans and Persians fought over centuries before. During the day, Pingaron Hill had changed hands three times at the cost of more than one thousand soldiers, who were now fly-ridden cadavers strewn across the hill. The blood of fascists and republicans mixed together, staining the dry, acrid soil. In the early evening, the two sides took a break from butchering each other to collect the wounded. No one bothered collecting the dead or even counting them. When the ferocious roar of the fighter planes finally stopped, the chilling rattle of machine guns fell silent, and the steadily falling shells hushed. They could hear the screams. Wounded, mutilated, dying men used their last breaths to call for God or their mothers as they cried like lost children. Riley tried to ignore the sounds as he looked at what was left of the first company of the battalion, made up exclusively of young American volunteers. They had traveled to Spain to sign up for this first war against fascism, but now would have gladly traded their ideals for some eggs and bacon, a hot coffee, and a blanket. Those barefaced boys, most of them virgins but with dozens of kills under their belts, couldn't have looked more pathetic. Almost all of them were injured with varying degrees of severity. They were covered in their own blood or someone else's and stank of sweat, urine, and fear. The vapor of their breath formed clouds as they huddled together like lambs at the gates of the slaughterhouse. They numbered just half of what they had that same morning and their eyes were heavy with the losses of comrades and friends. In one day, they had killed many men and seen many others die. They would never be the same. Riley put his rifle aside and zipped up his jacket. Night would drop below freezing again, taking the weakest with it. Rummaging through his pockets, he found a few crumbs that had been rationed out the day before. Herding them together in his dirty palm, he was about to eat them when he turned to Scout and offered him some. No thanks, Alex, he said, rubbing his belly. I don't think the apple pie from lunch is sitting with me very well. Riley, who knew Scout hadn't eaten anything in two days, nodded. They have no idea how to make them here, he said. They always overdo it on the glaze. A shadow appeared behind them. Zigzagging in a crouched position, it asked a soldier a question, then walked over to them. Riley got a bad feeling. When he realized it was a messenger and saw him take a letter from his pouch and hand it to the captain, the feeling turned to dread. Riley's suspicion was confirmed by Scout's disgruntled sigh and expression as he opened his mouth to speak. They ordered us to take the enemy positions, Scout said. When? Riley asked. Now. But I know. Shit, Riley said. Prepare the men, Scout ordered, brushing off his jacket and assuming the role of commanding officer again. And for Christ's sake, change that face. We have to set an example. As you wish, Captain, Riley said after taking a deep breath of cold air to get his courage up.
He had to approach his comrades and ask them for one final effort. He got up from his seated position with difficulty and went over to the soldiers scattered about the trench, trying to keep his head below the parapet. Comrades, he said, raising his voice. The high command just ordered us to retake the hill. So check your rifles, get your ammo, and put on clean panties. Tonight we're sleeping in the fascist trenches. A string of scoffs, complaints, and veiled insults rang out from what was left of the battered company. Riley shared their feelings. Knowing their lives were worth more than all the pingarones in the world put together, but they had been given an order. Even though they were volunteer soldiers being used as cannon fodder in an improvised army led by incompetent generals they hated almost as much as the enemy,